Hey everybody, it's Pastor Will. Welcome or welcome back to the Brazos Fellowship Podcast. Thank you for listening today. And at the end of this episode, please take a moment to subscribe to this podcast if you aren't already. But more importantly, I hope the following presentation inspires you to take the next step in your faith journey. Enjoy. How's everybody doing? Good morning. It is... It's morning. It's a lot earlier this time than it was yesterday. Uh, my name is Sean. I want to welcome you. I want to thank you so much for being here and uh, being with us on um, this Sunday morning. And it is pajama day in the kids' area, and I'm just going to take a vote right now. We don't vote in the church, but this is a time for a vote. Next year, is it pajama day for all adults as well? Yes. This day will now hereforth be called pajama day. And we will all have pajamas. Um, I'm the executive pastor here if you're new with us. And I want to thank you so much for being here and being a part of the thing. It's spring break and hopefully you'll get to do something fun today. My youngest daughter goes to school down in San Antonio and her spring break was this week. And so uh, she'll be heading back today. And um, my wife and my oldest daughter who lives in New York, uh, they are taking a tour around Chelsea, England this morning. Yeah. Guess what Sean's doing this afternoon? Watching the dogs and honeydews. Not fair. So if you're like me and you don't get to go anywhere this spring break, it's okay. We're here this morning. It's going to be good. Or it won't. It's okay. Whatever. Uh, now, I want to thank you so much for being here. I've got a quote that I was wants to look at this morning that I've been thinking about, and it is from uh, Martin Luther. He uh, was a priest who put his ideas on a uh, door, and the next thing, the whole world changed. Um, but uh, he says this, faith is a free surrender and a joyous wager on the unknown, untested goodness of God. That sounds so beautiful, doesn't it? But man, that's a high bar, isn't it? And we're just supposed to fully surrender Fully trust? That's difficult. I mean, I don't know about you, but I mean, that just feels like as I read that, I go, oh, it's beautiful. And I go, man, you're right, but that is, that's tough. I mean, what do we do with our doubts? I mean, can we have doubts? Can you come to church and be honest and say, I got some doubts? Or do we have to live in a world where it's either those who believe and those who don't believe? I would assume that most of us in this room believe in God. But if we're real honest, we have a hard time trusting that the way he says we should live our life is how we should live it. Isn't that doubt? I mean, isn't that a, a hint of doubt? And can we call ourselves believers if we have doubt? That's the question I wanted to look at today. Can we call ourselves a believer if we have doubts? Because I'm going to be honest with you. I have doubts. When I look at the world, when I see the pain that's happening now, but it's always been happening, I have doubts. I have doubts whenever I want God to be more visible, for there to be just more proof. I have doubts when I look at the hypocrisy that I see in the church, but most importantly, when I look at the hypocrisy I see in me. 
But I also believe. And I believe because I don't think this world is the way it was supposed to be. This guy named Bob, and he's needing a haircut, so he goes to his barber, and he's sitting in the chair, and they get into a lively conversation. He's been going there for a while, so they both feel comfortable with each other, and they start talking about faith for some reason. And uh, the barber just says, hey, i got to be honest with you, Bob. I just don't believe there's a God. Because when I look around the world, there's just too much sickness, too much pain, too much ugliness, too much hurt that's going on. If there was a God, there's just no way that would happen. Well, Bob listens to him. He can tell he's pretty passionate about it. He won't get in an argument with him, but he's a believer. And so he just kind of lets the conversation die. He pays for his haircut, and he goes to walk to his car. As he's about to get in his car, he looks over, and there's a gentleman. He's got long, greasy, unkept, dirty hair. And he thinks for a second. Puts his keys back in his pocket, walks back into the barber shop, opens up the door and says, I don't believe in barbers. And the barber says, what are you talking about, Bob? I just cut your hair. He goes, no, 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 no. If there were barbers, there would be no one with unkept, dirty hair in the world. He says, Bob, you know there are barbers. The problem is people just don't come to us. And Bob says, exactly. So I believe, and I've bet the farm on my beliefs. But if you're like me and you have some doubts, I want you to know you're not alone. Matthew, uh, one of the writers of the four Gospels, the, the first books of the Bible, the, the ones that kind of document Jesus' time here on earth, tells us the story of the disciples in their last meeting with Jesus. And there he says this over in Matthew 28, verse 16 and 17. Then the 11 disciples went to Galilee, to the mountain where Jesus had told them to go. And when they saw him, they worshiped him, but some doubted. The disciples had doubts. So if you go through life and you are um, what I call a nail-biter, when stress starts coming, when life starts getting hard, when you start having doubts, I want you to know you're in great company, not only with the disciples, but also because there's this guy named Abraham. Now, Abraham was a gentleman that the New Testament holds up in high regards. He is at the top of the faith ladder. He talked about in Romans, he's talking about in Galatians, he's talking about in Hebrews as being just a man of just this incredible faith. But I also want you to know he had incredible doubt. Not once, but twice. Abraham is, is walking along, journeying with God, but they come to a, a town. And in that town, he gets a little scared. So he says to his wife, hey, you're a beautiful woman. We go into this town People are going to want to date you. But if they know that I'm your husband, they'll kill me so they can have a chance to date you. So just tell them I'm your sister. I mean, you're my sister. Ladies, how would I be married to him? <laughs> Not once, but twice he does this. When God tells Abraham, hey, you're going to have a son and his wife is barren, he laughs in God's face. Who was this guy? 
You can read the story of Abraham in the book of Genesis. But he's unique because um, both Christians, Jews, and Muslims look to him as the patriarch of the family where their faith comes from. He's a man like you and I, but when he was 70, God came to him and said, hey, I want you to go on a journey with me. And if you'll go on this journey with me, I'll turn you into a nation. So Abraham does. He leaves everything that he has, his, his, his family, he packs up his belongings, takes his wife, takes his belongings, and, and they go follow after God. And they do this for year after year after year after year. And God blesses them on the journey. But there's no way he's going to become a nation because Sarah's never had a kid. And this goes on year after year. And so finally, when Abraham's almost 100 years old, God comes to him and says, Hey, you know that promise I told you I was going to turn you into a nation? It's about to happen. Sarah is going to have a child. Now, this is just, should be the greatest news. But Abraham's like, you are crazy, God. This is what he, this is what he says over in Genesis 17, verse 7. Abraham uh, fell face down. He laughed and said to himself, Will a son be born to a man a hundred years old? Will Sarah bear a child at the age of 90? He can't believe it. I don't know about you, but I've always thought that if I lived back in the day whenever God was doing the things he was doing in the Bible, he was doing the miracles he was doing, he was having the conversations with people that he was having, it would be just so easy to believe. But obviously it wasn't. You see, God leaves room for doubt. God leaves a space for doubt. Not only do we see in Abraham's story, but we see in Moses' story, the prophet's story. We've already seen that Jesus' own disciples had doubt. See, I wish that eventually we would come to a place where we would have no doubt. But you either had to travel with God with your doubts or not travel at all. Because God gives space for our doubts. And we go, why is this? Why would God allow there to be this space for us to wonder in? Because if there's no space for doubt, there's no space for choice. And God will not force you to follow him. He wants you to choose. He wants you to make the decision. He wants you to fill in the gap and say, yes, I will follow. He will not force us. Abraham and Sarah chose to follow. As crazy it was, they chose to follow. And God came back to them a second time. This time he comes in the form of a traveler. I don't know how God spoke to him the first time, but this time we're told that God comes in the form of a traveler. I don't know how Abraham knew this was God, but he did. And God tells him, hey, remember I promised you that son. I keep telling you you're going to have this son. And it doesn't happen. But guess what? Next year, I'm going to come back and visit you. And when I do, Sarah will be holding your son. This is incredible. Now they got a date. Now Sarah's listening to this. She's eavesdropping in the tent. And she hears this. Next year, I'm going to have a child. 
This thing I've dreamed about since I was a young girl. This thing I've been denied. This thing I've been hoping for. Yes, the wealth has been wonderful. Yes, the adventure has been fun. Yes, the idea that somehow we're going to become a nation. I don't even know what that means. That's a cool thing. But the one thing I really wanted was to have a child. And you're telling me in a year I'm going to have this? It's too much. So what did she do? Genesis 18, we get her response. Eighteen twelve says, So Sarah laughed to herself as she thought, After I am worn out and the, my Lord is old, will I now have this pleasure? There's just no way. There's no way that this can happen. But here's the deal. God hears her laugh, and he calls her on it. He goes to her and says, Sarah, why are you laughing? Sarah's so scared. She's so caught off guard. She lies about herself. No, 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 I wasn't laughing. He goes, yeah, you were. You were laughing. But you can hear that there's playfulness in his voice because he knows Sarah can't see a path for this to happen. Sarah's never witnessed this before and will probably never see it again that a woman who's in her 90s will have a child with her husband who's 100 she can't see how they can get there. And then God's response to her is like, I get it. I understand you can't see, but I know where we're going. Just come with me. I'll get us there. You see, God guides us out of our doubts. The world's kind of divided into two sets of people, I believe. Those who ask for directions stupid, and those who don't. <laughs> I think after all these years, I've learned that I'm the stupid one, not you guys that are smart enough to ask for directions. But think about this. You go uh, on a trip, you get, you get in a plane, you fly somewhere, and you go rent a car. And you go through all the paperwork. You tell them, no, I don't want you to give me a full tank of gas at the end and charge me $990 for what I can get for, you know, well, nowadays, $999. Um... <laughs> the same price um or i don't want your insurance all that stuff and then so you finally say i'm gonna take a chance and so you ask the attendant hey can you tell me the fastest way to get to my hotel and the attendant looks at you he grabs those keys in your car and he walks around to the driver's side and he gets in the driver's seat rolls down the window and says hey get in i can't tell you but i know exactly where you need to go hey in. i'll take you how mad would you be furious i would just give me a map just give me some directions just give me a five-point plan just give me keys to success we like that don't we we like maps because maps means i'm in control map means i get to be in charge of the journey but if i don't have a map but i have a guide i have to relinquish control and who wants to do that God never gave Abraham a map. He just said, I know where we're going. Come on. Trust me. Like I told you earlier, I have two grown adult children. And no one ever said that parenting adult children was going to be this hard. They still need and want my advice 
They just need and want my advice when they want it. And how am I supposed to let go? I just can't let them become their own person. What if they make a mistake? And I go to God and say, God, can you please just give me, give me some direction on how to do this parenting at this new stage? I don't care if it's simple or complex. Can you just give me something that I can know how to follow? No directions come. What I do get is this kind of laughter in the back of my head. This voice that says, I know it's so frustrating when your adult kids only reach out to you when they need something. It's just, it's just so hard. I mean, it's, it's boggles. It's, it's, it's infuriating, isn't it? He says, hey, let's walk together. I got lots of experience with adult kids. Come on. So we journey. We get to journey with our doubts, but God will lead us through them. He'll guide us if we will just get up each day and say, okay, God, I'm going to journey with you. So, Sarah and Abraham decide to journey with God, even though they feel foolish, they feel ridiculous. But then something happened, something amazing happened. Sarah feels something one morning she's never felt before, and it's different. And she has a child. And nine months later, she has a son. Her dreams become a reality. The thing that she never thought would happen has happened. It's no longer a promise. It's a miracle that she's holding in her hands. And what does she do? We get her reaction in Genesis 21, 6. She says, God has brought me laughter, and everyone who hears it about this will laugh with me. You know what God told Abraham to name his son? Isaac. You know what it means? He laughs. He laughs. Why did she laugh? Why would we laugh? Think about that. If this happened today, if a 90-year-old woman had a child, we would laugh. She's in the hospital, and what's going to pay the bills? Medicare. (laughs) We would laugh every time she goes to the grocery store. Why? Because there's pampers and the pens are just filling up her basket. That's all she's got room for. We would laugh because at dinner she would just walk into the pantry and grab her baby bottles because there's not a tooth in the family. We're all eating it together. She would laugh because when we see them out on a walk together, they're all wearing walk, using walkers. We would laugh with her when we were sitting holding that child with tears coming down her eyes, with just joy. And she remembers the journey. And she remembers how poorly they waited. How badly they believed. How they doubted and they schemed. And through all of it, God showed up anyway. So we'd laugh. We'd laugh with her. But here's the deal. God gets the last laugh on our doubts. God gets the last laugh 
on our doubts. We like to say around the office that God has an incredible sense of humor because whenever something happens, when something comes through in a way that no one could have ever imagined, we just hear God laughing. He's not laughing at us. He's laughing with us. It's like a parent, whenever you're watching a child and they have a struggle, they have something they've got to learn, something they've got to accomplish, something they've got to get over, and they finally do it. The parent laughs with the child, not at the child. The parent's laughter is pride and joy. And that's what God does for us. When we allow him to guide us through our doubts and we finally see that he can be trusted, he is good, he laughs with us. He laughs with us. You see, God is a patient God who makes room for our doubts and who will laugh with us once our doubts are healed. So how do we do it? How do we walk and follow God with our doubts? Man, I wish I could tell you that you just need to, to read up in your Bible a little bit more and learn a little bit more, and all your doubts will go away. But I've never talked to anyone whose doubts went away because they learned something new. Faith comes when we let go of our doubts and we reach for our beliefs. We've got to start reaching out for what we believe, not holding on to what we doubt. Have you gone to the circus? I used to love the circus as a kid. I uh, um, got to go a couple of times, uh, and uh, my favorite act was the, um, the trapeze, the trapeze artist. Um, and uh, they were just so amazing. They'd just take off and just fly, and it was incredible. Well, there are two characters in a trapeze act. And there's also three movements. The two characters are, number one, the flyer, who gets the most attention because they've got to let go of the bar and they've got to soar in the air. But there's also the catcher. Now, no one pays much attention to the catcher, but if you talk to a trapeze team, they'll tell you is the catcher who's the most important person on the team. They are the star because they make sure that there's a show after the show. If they don't catch, there's no show. So they're very important. And so the catcher is huge. Now, the act comes down to this. The flyer swings, the catcher swings, and eventually the flyer must let go of that trapeze, must let go of security to soar in the air. And they do. They soar. They fly. But eventually, gravity wins. And they start plummeting to the ground. And they just have to wait and wonder, will their catcher catch? So the flyer must let go and the flyer must soar. And while they are waiting, all they can do is extend their arms and hope and hope and hope that their catcher doesn't have sweaty hands. But that's what they do. They let go and they wait. And the catcher swoops in and saves the day. 
This word trapeze comes from an old Greek word called trapeza. And it is, uh, basically means table. And we find this in the New Testament whenever uh, Jesus calls his disciples to come around a table, the trapeza. And around that table, he shares a last supper with them. He gives us the practice we call communion. And during that time together, he shares with his disciples that he is going to have to let go of his life so that we may have life, so that he may have a fuller life. You see, we all have a trapeze that we're holding on to. This trapeze called life. And we hold on to it tightly. It's our security. But it's also keeping us from flying. What are you holding on to right now? That's keeping you from fully flying into the life God has for you. Where do you not trust that God will not catch? What makes you so afraid that you can't let go? God's, God's swinging over there upside down, encouraging us. Let go. Let go. You can trust me. I'll catch you. I got you. You just got to let go. How do we do it? How do we let go? We do it by finding out what we believe. What's one thing you believe about God that you know is true? Just one thing. One thing you believe about God that you know it's true. Maybe you believe that when God says that love is stronger than hate, Maybe you believe when God says that to give is better than to receive. Or maybe you believe that every individual has intrinsic value. Are you living out that belief? Every day, every opportunity, when you hit an opportunity to live out that faith, do you lean in and do you trust God with it? It's hard. It's really hard to even live out the things we believe in. And here's the reason why. Because God's truths are so big. And they're hard. And to live them out, we have to rely on Him. But here's the genius of God. The more we rely on Him, the more we trust in Him. And the more we trust in him, the more our doubts are healed. So what do you believe? What's one thing, what's one belief you can focus on? And then rely on God to truly live that truth out. I want to share with you some questions you can think about this week as you go along your week. 
you can either take a picture of them, you can take notes real quick, or you can text in to BFServe 97000. We'll send them to you at the end of the service. But just something to think about this week as you, as you process this. What's the one question that drives your doubts? Is it just, I, I just doubt everything? Or can you identify really where the hang-up is? Where, really where you're, you're, you're struggling? Because if we don't know what we're really struggling with, it's hard to deal with it. And then, what do your doubts say about your belief in God's character? We don't doubt those we believe in. Those that we trust, we don't doubt. So when I have doubts with God, it means there's something about him I don't know if I can really trust. I don't know if I can really believe. You're not a bad person. You're just being honest. He already knows this. Do you know it? Do you really know what he, you think about his character? Do you really know that you can believe him? Or maybe, mm, I, I don't know. I don't really know if God's good. Or maybe God's good, but maybe he's not going to be good to me. What does your doubt say about your belief in his character? And then what's the one truth about God that you could focus your life around? Just one. All you need is one. If you have several, that's wonderful. But right now, what's one thing you believe about God? And you can say, you know what? I believe it. Take some time this week. Really think about these questions. Wrestle with them a little bit. So how do we do this? How do we follow God when we have doubts? We just focus on what we believe. We just start focusing on what we believe. See, I started this talk with the question of can we be a believer if we have doubts? And I hope you've come to see that it's, our, it's what we do with our beliefs, not our doubts, that defines our faith. It's what we do with our beliefs, not our doubts, that defines our faith. Jesus' disciples had doubts, but they doubted and worshiped. They doubted and served. They doubted and helped each other out with their doubts. And Jesus came to this group of doubters and said, hey, you go. You go with your doubts and you be my ambassador in the world. You go with your doubts and you change the world. You go with your doubts and you die for me. And when you do, you'll find that it's your doubts that get healed. What if we did this? What if each of us who call ourselves a believer, what if we went out and we truly lived out our beliefs every day? What would happen to pain, suffering, ugliness in the world? It wouldn't go away. But man, if every believer lived like this, lived out their faith, wouldn't the world be changed? Wouldn't we become the, the miracle that the world needs? 
Wouldn't they look at our lives and in our lives they would see there really is a loving God? See, Jesus came to show us. He's the proof we've been looking for. And every time he interacted with anyone, he showed them love. He healed. He listened. He cared. But one of the greatest things he gave to us is to show us there really is a catcher. And he doesn't have sweaty hands. Once again, thanks for listening. If you live in the Brazos Valley, we would love for you to engage with us at one of our weekend services. For directions, service times, and information about our fabulous children's and student environments, visit us at brazosfellowship.com. That's brazosfellowship.com.